I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are once again diving into the post bag to answer your most commonly asked questions about all things fitness and fertility. And I can't believe we're already at the end of September. Where <laughs> is this year going? I remember when we were talking about our holiday plans and it feels like about three days ago, but we're well beyond that now. Now it's time dare I say, for a little bit of Halloween. I'm not going to use the C word. I'm not using it, Maria. I nearly panicked. Oof, banned until at least December, maybe November. But you know, I love Halloween and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for it this year. I'm going big. I'm going to scare the living daylights <laughs> out of my children. I do love Halloween very much. The thing that is not great for me on Halloween is, for anyone that knows me, well, no, I am not a crafter. I don't do crafting. I'm not a mumsy mum. So when the children want the costumes, I'm not going to lie, Amazon Prime is my friend. I don't do crafting either. I also do. (laughs) Halloween is sponsored by Amazon in my house. Oh, by the way, Amazon, we are available for sponsorship spots, Mm -hmm, should mm -hmm. you be interested. No, everything goes through uh, the online purchase on the way to Halloween. No, it's more, I really wrap my brains about how to really stand out on the trick-or-treat route. And we went for the... Well, well, I would say it's kind of an anti-capitalist mask, but it's also anonymous or V for Vendetta masks. If you Google them, you'll see them. And basically, we all had one. That's Phil, me and the two kids. And we had black hoodies and black trackies. And we just oh, went And it was wonderful. Oh, Roisin, I'm, I'm sure you stood out and we are going to need to see pictures. That's all I'm going to say. It was a very good one last year. We, we need to go again. But mm-hmm. we've got a lot of time before then and now. And we have another pretty big post bag. Mm-hmm. It's getting mm-hmm. bigger every single mm-hmm. month. The first question is from Kate from Bristol. She's eaten well all summer. She's worked out five times a week, including three hit classes, two yoga sessions, and the scales haven't moved. What am I doing wrong? Is this perimenopause? Should I go to the doctor? I'm still trying to conceive and I'm trying to get fit and healthy before my next round of IVF. Oh, I can feel her pain. Oh, I hate the scale so much. Mm-hmm. The sad step. Kate, we are with you. And this is a fantastic question. There is a lot to unpack here. If you were my client, I would give you a kind of more detailed summary here, but I will give you the abbreviated version. What I would say is please don't panic. It may not be perimenopause. Okay. There's lots of different things that could be going on here. The very first thing I would say is when you say you've eaten well, What I would say is, have you actually been tracking? It's really easy to accidentally find that cheese that's come out of the fridge and ended up in your mouth, or you've kind of got your hands in the cereal box, which is one of Roisin's accidental favourite things that she occasionally finds herself doing. Chocolate is my nemesis. The first thing I would say is, have you been tracking what you've been eating just so that we know for sure? From there, what I would also say is if you've been working out five times a week, which is a lot, including the three HIIT classes and two yoga sessions, 
When it comes to the HIT classes, again, I would talk about that and say, how close are you to treatment? Because just as an aside, the high intensity classes might not be the best just before IVF. And the other thing is, the reason high intensity classes may not be great before IVF is because they put a lot of stress on your body. And when you are putting stress on your body, it's also harder in some ways to lose weight. So that's a bit of a double-edged sword. So I would also ask you just to think a little bit about that. I would talk about consistency. Have you only just started working out five times a week? When you say over the summer, do you mean two weeks? Do you mean six weeks? So I would actually maybe do one or two less workouts, but aim to be in the game for longer. And I would look at your stress in general, because if you're generally feeling under stress, that will be impacting any weight loss that you're hoping for as well. I would say no, it absolutely does not mean it's perimenopause. I would work through all of those questions with you and then go from there. So I can't give you an exact answer, but that's where I would start. Sometimes you also need a few progress pictures, because if you are actually working out for those five five days a week, really, you're going to be gaining some beautiful muscle. You're going to be toning up really well, but muscle weighs more than fat. So you could be losing it on one hand and gaining it on the other. And I always find that if the scales aren't moving, sometimes I just take it to the photographs Mm -hmm. or just pick a a pair of shorts. I've got a pair of shorts. That's my guide every week. Can I still get in these shorts? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That can be difficult because obviously where you are in your Mental cycle means that sometimes you're more bloated, like do yourself a favor. If you've got a massive swollen, bloated belly because you've got your period or you're in the days coming up to your period, don't put the shorts on that day. But in the main, that's my goal pair of shorts. That's basically the way I'm doing it. So because I'm just done with the sad step, because you're working out so much, just make sure that you're not, you're measuring the right thing. You want to measure both your weight, but also how you're looking and how you're feeling. Absolutely. And again, just a couple of little thoughts I had while you were saying that. We've talked before about how to actually measure body fat compared to muscle, which is way more interesting and reliable. You, Roshan, I remember actually one of our earlier episodes, you talked us through your DEXA scan experience. And that really stuck in my mind because um, you explained it really nicely. In fact, would you mind just giving us a quick summary, Roshan, because it's really good for body fat rather than the scale? Sure. Uh, When I got my body fat percentage measured, I, I went with a thing called a DEXA scan. Now, it's not the cheapest, but it's one of those things that you only really need to do once in order to get a sort of a starting point. And it basically is a scanner that you stand on, you can hold some electrodes and it sends a current through your body. And it assesses you for lots of things, but one of them is obviously body fat percentage. And my body fat percentage actually came out quite high. I think it was a good third. <laughs> I like a good <laughs> third fat, but that's okay. <laughs> I think it was a third, a third, a third. But it also tests things like your bone density, how strong your bones are and your muscle mass. What you're trying to aim for is obviously more muscle and less fat. Okay. Not, not to take it to extremes. You can't be 90% muscle. You know, there, you, there is a place for it as well. And there's two different types of fat. There is fat that's, that sits on the outside of your body, the one that you can really see. So that is your subcutaneous fat. And that is between your muscles and your skin. So that's the stuff that we tuck into our genes, basically. And then you've got your sort of internal fat, which is the fat that wraps around your organs. And that is the bad fat. Okay. That is visceral fat. That is the one that that you really, really, really want to get rid of because that can really affect how your body works. I always think come into the situation with the cleanest information that you can. If you're really going to invest in your fertility journey 
and pay for the IVF, okay, which mm. is already going to be expensive, you might as well come in with some very clean information. Where you are in terms of your DEXA scan will give you a really good starting point. And that's what you should measure against over the long term, over maybe a year or two years. Am I making progress with various types of fat? But also, am I making progress with my muscles and the strength of my bones? Hugely important. I know you were saying that Kate may not be perimenopausal, but the reason why women, we don't do well if we have falls in our 60s. Because what happens is we take a fall, we might crack a hip and a hip replacement gives you five years on this earth once you have a hip replacement because you can't move as well. Working on your bones is of such high priority, not just for healthy pregnancies and healthy carries and healthy postpartum experience. When that baby leaves, it takes a lot of your calcium with it. You need to get that back in through your nutrition. But another way to threaten those bones is, oh God, she's going to start going off again on weights, but is weightlifting. You read my mind? Read my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Weightlifting, uh, resistance training. We have talked about it in the past, but it is awesome and it massively helps overall health, reduces fat, builds muscle and supports healthy bone density. So 100%. Just to take it back to Kate, I would maybe swap the HIT training for the resistance training, especially if you're trying to conceive. There is a place for high intensity training. Um, you know, we can talk about that. But in this case, if you need to lower body fat and uh, prepare for IVF, resistance training really could do the world of good. And beware ticking off the boxes as well, because sometimes that's super stressful as well. It's like, I need to do all of these things. I need to hit my yoga. I need to hit the gym. I need to hit my sleep. So I need to hit my step. And then you're just a ball of stress. Sometimes less haste, more speed. Always, always put your stress management, your sleep, your nutrition, and being good to yourself at the center of your plan. We wish you nothing but good luck for your IVF. Mm -hmm. We've had AJ in from San Diego. Oh, I love San Diego so much. I would love to go. AJ, I'm coming to visit. Such a good <laughs> town. Hi, Maria and Roisin. I'm reasonably new to trying to conceive and I'm delighted to find your show. Well, we're delighted that you found us, AJ. Mm -hmm. This may seem like a basic question, but could you please clarify the science of infertility? This is such a great question. And no, it isn't a basic question. It's actually a really important question. And I mean, it can be incredibly complicated as well, but we will keep it simple. So thank you for asking. Infertility can show itself in lots of different ways, but there are some common signs that you can look out for. Now, AJ, I know you're in America. Here in the UK, the kind of starting point that NHS would look for is, have you been trying to conceive for a year and you have never become pregnant in that time? So one of the first signs is, have you ever been pregnant? If you've been trying and having sex around the right time, having sex two to three times a week around the time of ovulation, and you've been doing that for a year and you're not pregnant, if there's not even a little hint of anything, then in the UK, that would be when the doctors will then start to see you. Time trying to conceive and whether or not you have become pregnant yet is one of the key indicators we would start with. One of the other big things we look at is irregular menstrual cycles. So this is why Roshin and I are always talking about tracking your menstrual cycles, especially if you are new to the trying to conceive community. Now, we're not saying that you have to have a cycle that's dead on 28 days because, you know, lots of people do not have that. What we're looking for is consistency. So if your cycle is 32 days, one month, and it's 30 days the next month and it's 31 the month after. Fine. That's great. Everything you know, from a basic perspective, looks great. 
If though, like I used to have, you're having one period a year, which genuinely used to happen to me always in the summer holidays, like I've said before, that's not okay. And the thing that got me was I was delighted not to be having periods until it came to the point of trying to conceive. So irregular menstrual cycles, or in some cases, completely absent menstrual cycles, are an issue that you have to go to the doctor with. With that being said, one of the things that can make it difficult to track menstrual cycles is abnormal bleeding. And I genuinely think one of the things that used to throw me off was, looking back, I think I used to have bleeding in between the kind of official bleeding that was supposed to happen. So abnormal bleeding between your period. And of course, the problem is it's really difficult to tell, especially when your cycles are all over the place. Is this my period? You can actually get ovulation bleeding. Is this ovulation bleeding? Is it that my progesterone is too low? So again, track your cycle so that you can see when your period is maybe meant to be and if you're having bleeding in between, because that can be an issue as well. Pain and discomfort is another big one. And again, As women, we quite often get told it's just your period. It's supposed to be painful. Stop whinging about it. If you are having pain and discomfort, if it is making it difficult for you to go to work, if you're experiencing flooding, if you are having to change your sanitary protection every hour, that is not supposed to happen. It might not be anything dramatic, but it's it's not supposed to be like that. So there are a number of different things that I would perhaps start there, start tracking, really record a couple of cycles and then go to the doctor with the data. We love data and go from there. Yeah, through tracking and writing stuff down, you might find some passions within the pattern. Even if the pattern is crazy, you might find things. It's so crazy to me. I know I've said this before, but no one told me that grinding your nails into furniture wasn't a natural part of having a period. No one ever told me that if it doesn't come every 28 days, maybe you should check with someone. <laughs> you know? like Where is she? Where is she? Yeah. And even that idea of 28 days being the norm, it's not the norm, but Mm-mm. Maria, like it should have come at some stage. <laughs> not oh, just when for- you're in Benidorm in your bikini, you know. Okay, that- Roshin, I would like to clarify, it was Sarajevo. And I can tell you now, having a horrific period in Sarajevo, the first one in a year with the worst migraine of your life, it was not an enjoyable experience for anyone involved. But it was always in the summer, always one off in the summer. A girl I was talking to you recently because people now just approach me and talk to me about their period. (laughs) On the 39th day, and you know what her doctor said to her? He went, as long as you get there, you get there. It's like, no, that is not the point. My goodness. That is not the point. It's like, yeah, okay, but what if it's not 39 days next time? What if it's 63 days next time and or the- 145 days the next mm-hmm. time? If the pattern doesn't make sense to you and someone says, well, yeah, you're getting there in the end. Look, to say to them, look, I need to get pregnant. So therefore, we need to have a more regularized pattern here. Yeah. And also, just to dig into that a little bit, when we're looking at cycle tracking, one of the key things about cycle tracking is it isn't just the total number of days. It's not just the 39 number. It's the how long each phase is. So it's how long is the follicular phase? Is it long enough to grow the follicles? How long is the luteal phase? Is it long enough to build the lining of your uterus? So it isn't just the total days. You also need to dig in. And actually, on your tracking apps, That's why you're supposed to do things like record ovulation, not just so you know when to have sex, but also you need to know how long the 
first bit, the follicular phases, and you need to know how long the luteal phase is. Because some people will suffer with things like a luteal phase is too short. And what that means is they might be able to fertilize the egg with the sperm. But if the next part of their cycle is too short, the the fertilized egg struggles to make itself comfortable in the uterus because the lining isn't thick enough, because they haven't had long enough to prepare. So yeah, it's not just that 39, it's let's dig deeper, how long is each cycle? And that's why I need to track and why I would be frustrated if someone said that to me. Yeah. And you make a very good point. It's not just the full length of the cycle, but it's the segments within it Mm -hmm. and making sure your body has the full chance to complete whatever processes it's in the middle of. Maria, I hadn't thought about that. Well done you. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt, but I know that so many of you are preparing for fertility treatment in 2024. So why not kickstart your fitness and fertility journey by signing up to my two-week free trial? You will have access to all of my fertility-focused training plans, meal plans, weekly check-ins and live workouts. For more information and to sign up to start your free trial, go to my website, fitnessfertility.com. And now, back to the show. We've had an Instagram message in from Mira. She's from Leicester. She's coming up to her first appointment and knows that she has to be super prepared. She has PCOS and doesn't ovulate regularly at all. She's hoping that the doctor will prescribe either letazole or Clomid, but is not sure what's best. What would you suggest? This is an interesting question, actually. So a little bit of context. When I was going through my fertility journey, which was, to be honest, probably started 10 years ago now, Clomid was very much the go-to drug, clomiphene, if there wasn't much else wrong, so to speak, they would put you on clomid and uh, hope for the best. For me, it worked very well on 50 milligrams. But in the last few years, this drug, this medicine, letrozole, has made an appearance. And this is what this question is all about. For those of you that don't know, both letrozole and clomid have the same goal. They're given for, for lots of reasons, but basically if you're not ovulating or maybe as part of the IVF process. But the end goal is ovulation, collect as many eggs. And the big question is, which one is best? The minute it would seem that doctors are prescribing letrozole more and more. So the kind of anecdotal, slightly research-based answer is letrozole is definitely on the up when it comes to being prescribed. And it works by reducing the production of estrogen in the body. And what this means is lower estrogen levels can lead to an increase in FSH, which is your follicle-stimulating hormone which we then hope stimulates the ovaries to produce more eggs. So this is how letrozole works. The research has shown that it might actually be more effective than Clomid, especially in women with PCOS. For the women listening, some women will be prescribed letrozole or Clomid, even though technically they don't have PCOS. It might be part of the IVF procedure, but research, particularly in PCOS, has shown it to be very effective. When it comes to Clomid, again, the end result is the same. The end result is we want you ovulating. What Clomid does is it blocks estrogen receptors in the brain, which ultimately has the same result. It leads to increased secretion of FSH and luteinizing hormone. And again, the idea is the ovaries produce more eggs. The thing that a lot of people associate with Clomid, the Clomid crazies, and these do tend to include things like hot flashes, mood swings, rest tenderness, changes in cervical mucus. Ironically, what Clomid can do is it can make your cervical mucus less hospitable to sperm, which is ironic because that is the opposite of what you want. You want the sperm to be swimming around in some nice egg white cervical mucus. 
But one of the things you need to be careful of with chlamyd is it can actually make the mucus thicker and the sperm just really struggle to get through it, which obviously is not what you want. It can also have the side effect of thinning your uterine lining, which again is not what you want. Side effects for letrozole tend to be fewer compared to side effects with Clomid. The advice is always, always, always speak to your doctor, which I'm sure Mira will do. Clomid still seems to be the kind of first line of treatment, partly, I guess, because they've been using it for so long, but it might be that letrozole is actually more effective. But it's interesting that one of the side effects of Clomid, and I know it worked really well for you, Maria, so we're not dogging Clomid at all, Mm-mm. is this thickening of cervical mucus and the thinning of the uterine lining. They're two things that doesn't seem to happen with electrozole. So maybe that's why they're starting to move from one to the other. Mm-hmm. But it's always good, again, this is this good intel to go in with. These are some questions. Maybe could we go straight to letrozole? Maybe because that won't have those side effects. That's a really good question for a doctor. I think that's a perfectly, I think that's a fabulous question because they have to explain to you, are they using Clomid because that's just what they use or they just have more experience with it? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to take anything that could run contrary to your ambition about getting pregnant. That's what Absolutely. this is all about. Roshan, I think you've summarized it really nicely. Ask the doctor the question, why are they prescribing you, whichever one it is they prescribe you? Perfect. And our final question comes in from long-term listener, Roshan. Tomorrow is International Podcasting Day. It's a huge deal in the calendar when it comes to podcast production, which is what I do. I think is the most fantastic way to communicate, relate, build community, share information. I'm all in. So my question, Maria, is what was your first podcast and do you have any that you recommend? That is a good question. My first podcast was actually the Spartan, I think they called it Spartan Up podcast, and it was not about history. I'd like to make that very clear. It was because I took part in the obstacle course race that is called Spartan. And it was basically a fitness pod. Shocker there, I suppose. But it was basically a fitness pod. Really lovely. I think it's still going. Loads of amazing stories about people overcoming really difficult things. and trying these really challenging obstacle courses. So yeah, actually, that was my first one. And from there, I think I went on to the Nike Trained podcast. Similar fitness, love them both. The Nike Trained podcast is a really interesting one because it's like uh, having a personal trainer via your headphones. Is there anything that you've been listening to recently that you think is well worth a listen? Oh, the retrievals. Oh, brilliant. The retrievals, the kind of mini-series, I guess you would call it, on... The egg collection experience of a number of women, and I'm not going to give you a spoiler on this one, but it's 100% worth listening to, very much related to fertility and self-advocating and trusting your gut. It's incredible. What about you, Roisin, actually? I'm very interested. Well, because I came from a radio background, I was really into radio. So I actually came to podcasts quite late. If you're UK based, you know that there's a thing called BBC and BBC4 does a lot of kind of mini series. So we would have gotten quite a lot of podcasting material via that. So it took me a while to move over, but I did move over and I started with the original, I suppose, the best serial. And that is about the death of him and Lee and the wrongful conviction of Adnan Syed, which just had me hooked. And if you still 
are interested in that and want to go back and listen to Serial, I absolutely go back and listen. But I would also recommend Undisclosed, which is, I think, more forensic in terms of that particular case. And you'll find some great stuff under Undisclosed. Those guys are incredible. So I suppose I came in via True Crime. But I found many homes within the podcasting sphere, <laughs> both in terms of my sort of daily political news, all the way through to self-help and pure escapism. I suppose if I was thinking of really great stuff, I think uh, a lot of stuff actually has turned up already on Netflix. So I would have listened to Dirty John before that came up. Shrink Next Door is very good. If you if you want to have a listen to that, it's a really, really good one. But one that I'm listening to particularly that I'm enjoying at the minute is by PJ Volt called Search Engine. And his podcast is all about answering those weird questions that we type into search engines. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> such a novel and wonderful idea. And PJ is just a consummate podcast professional and storyteller. So they're the ones that I'm kind of listening to at the minute, but there's always, oh, there's always something going on. I will also say that the retrievals was recommended by Maria to me. Oh, I know we talked about it on the previous show. It's, yeah, well worth a listen. It's fantastic. Last quick question back at your ocean before we wrap it up. I actually got asked the other day, how do I have time to listen to so many pods? I know where I fit it in. It's when I'm doing the shopping or I'm painting walls. When do you, because you're really busy as well, when do you fit in listening to podcasts? Because I'm really selective about what I listen to. Well, and this is, to manage my own stress levels, I have decided that there are certain things I will listen to and certain things I won't. So I will dedicate my driving time to listening to things that bring me up rather than this being on the news on the radio all the time. I'm keeping abreast. It's not a case that I'm ignorant of what's going on. But when I'm out and about, I try and hit it. And I also use that beautiful idea of habit stacking where mm. if I'm cleaning the house, I'll, I'll throw something on that will make that more pleasant if I'm ironing or walking the dog. So it's in my I'm moving around part of my days. And just uh, for anyone that is interested in podcasts, most people in Europe, Northern Europe, listen to podcasts outside the home. And most people in the US listen to podcasts inside the home. I did not know that at all. That's really interesting. They think it's just because people in Western Europe walk more. Ah. It's as simple that as that. We just Because our mm. towns and cities are walkable, we've got paths, it's easy to get around. Most small towns are hubs around a central area. So if you've got to go down to the shops, you don't have to get in the car. So it, mm. it isn't a laziness or it's not some kind of moral judgment about culture. Mm -hmm. It's more just accessibility. So mm. our stuff is more accessible by walking. So hence we walk more. Inside the home, a lot of uh, people in the US will do it as part of the cleaning up, getting rid of the dishes in the evening and de-stressing. I will also say that for anyone that is going through the fertility battle, the one thing that we constantly talk about and don't want to talk about is stress management because we know this is stressful and telling people that it's stressful can be stressful. <laughs> but there is some fantastic podcast meditations that you can have uh, for anxiety and for breath work. And I know uh, we have a podcast coming up with Sarah Manning and she's incredible and she does some breath work in our show and it's just the best, honestly. Like literally, if you're not sleeping after that, I don't know. <laughs> it's why it's at the end of the podcast and not the beginning because we do want you to hear how good her information is. <laughs> but it's fantastic. So make sure you tune into the show next week to hear from Sarah Manning. She is a fantastic yoga practitioner 
And like Roshin just said, she talks us through some invaluable breath work that will really help you feel relaxed and a bit more grounded. I did it myself during the recording and it really made a big difference to me. So stay tuned for the Fitness Fertility Podcast next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week. And please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.